Chapter thirty two of the Apostle of Alaska The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Serpent. In the meantime, there was quite a turmoil in the offices of the Church Missionary Society. Upon receipt of Mr. Duncan's long letter, he was informed that his explanations were satisfactory and that he need not come to England a letter was dispatched post-haste to the bishop instructing him not to deliver the enclosure but too late the enclosure had burned the bishop's hands till he had a chance to prematurely deliver it and now came the news that the indians were unanimously duncan's indians and not the society's not even one single solitary soul was there to whose spiritual wants the bishop and priest between them could have an opportunity to administer things were looking desperate indeed and bishop ridley's ears must have tingled at what he heard of deprecation and disapproval of his hasty and ill-considered action finally the bishop was told to hasten back to his distant sea and move heaven and earth to get mr duncan to come back into the fold with his mission and indians to make all possible promises and amends to promise to move away from metlakatla if necessary in short metlakatla the most precious crown jewel in the diadem of, of missionary achievements of the church missionary society lost by the indiscretion of the bishop must now at whatever cost be recovered the bishop came back from victoria he wrote mr duncan made him all kinds of propositions some showing such a small contemptible mind that they could not help making a man of the sterling moral solidity of mr duncan recoil all in vain mr duncan's one answer was too late in a white community of nine hundred and forty-eight souls for that was found to be the exact number of inhabitants at metlakatla when a few years later a census was taken it would not be expected that there could not be found some one who would not stand steadfast through all temptations for at any length of time someone had said about the tsimsheans the indians are no better than the white men it was therefore not strange if the wonderful unanimity should in time be slightly broken there were at metlakatla some people who had not lived such consistent lives as christians should they had been rebuked and reprimanded by mr duncan some of them publicly a few of them were former chiefs who felt slighted they were not made much of and were in fact kept down their ambition had been wounded by the stern and determined man at the head of the colony who knew no other merit than christian virtue it took but little inducement small attentions once in a while a little stirring in the hardly healed wound which still smarted at times to fan into flame the smouldering embers of dissatisfaction in these minds so after four or five months there was really a bishop's party at metlakatla consisting of four or five adults a majority of them so-called ex-chiefs one of them at least an ex-convict and ticket-of-leave man whose freedom from jail mr duncan held in the hollow of his hand i need not say that he never exercised the privilege he would not be the man he is if he had this was all the bishop wanted he at last had acquired a party at metlakatla on the very day of the rupture he had approached mr duncan's native teacher david leask a sterling man and able christian 
who till the day of his death was a leader and a giant among his people and offered him as a bribe a salary one-third larger than what he had if he would forsake mr duncan's leadership and accept work for the society under the bishop's orders but Leask, poor as he was spurned the tempter on his return from england the bishop was more successful in corrupting mr duncan's white teacher an englishman who had been paid by mr duncan out of his own private funds since the severance from the society a female indian assistant in the school did not have the power to resist which david leask had shown when she also was tempted by the bishop to give up her school for a consideration she deserted mr duncan thus he thought to interfere with mr duncan's school work and for a time really partly succeeded in this his next scheme was to cripple the resources of the metlakatlans upon his return he let it be assiduously understood that mr duncan a lone insignificant man never could successfully stand out against the society which he was very careful to impress on their minds had an annual income of over a million dollars now the indians were to feel the truth of this the main income of the matlakatlans enabling them to run their village their school and their church as well as their other enterprises came from the village store which now had been organized on a cooperative plan what does the bishop do but use the society's means in procuring a stock of goods placing them for sale in the mission house and selling them at cost price here again these splendid natives spurned the serpent's bribe not one of them could be induced to leave their own store and buy goods at a much smaller price from the bishop oh for such character among our white christians but the bishop's scheme did partially succeed the neighboring tribes whose trade constituted quite an item in the store's business were to some extent tempted by the cunning bribe in the nature of lower prices and the village store lost quite a large proportion of its usual annual profits but thank god the work was able to survive this blow also as showing the bishop's haughty and arrogant disposition i cite the following after his return the village council passed a resolution stating that it did not desire him to reside in the village a letter containing this resolution was handed him by a native he met him took the letter and without opening it tore it into pieces threw the fragments down and trampled on them when another man called with a second letter he summoned him into the house led the way to the fireplace and threw the letter unread into the flames how little he attempted to follow in the footsteps of the great prince of peace whose servant he was supposed to be is apparent from his own account given in one of his reports the medicine men at some mission station had disturbed him by their noise he says i stepped quickly up to the chief performer took him by the shoulders and before he could recover his self-possession had him at the river brink and assured him i would assist him further down next time i wonder how many heathen indians mr duncan would have succeeded in converting at an earlier day if his method of procedure had been tainted with the bishop's muscular christianity the next move of the bishop was to call for a warship to come up to cow the indians into submission to his lordship the village store was built close to the mission house no part of the society's funds had been used in its erection but the bishop now had commenced to set up a claim that all that was built and started by mr duncan from private contributions sent him was the society's property 
mr duncan in eighteen eighty five stated that all such contributions from the very first up to that date amounted in all not to exceed six thousand dollars and as against this he showed the cost and maintenance of the church twelve thousand nine hundred fifty nine dollars establishing new industries eleven thousand four hundred twenty six dollars village improvements three thousand forty dollars and aid furnished the villagers in building their new houses seven thousand two hundred and thirty eight dollars for a total expenditure of thirty four thousand six hundred sixty three dollars the indians after having sought legal advice as to their rights in the premises concluded to move the village store away from the undesirable proximity to the mission house where the bishop resided when they undertook to do this in a peaceable and quiet way the bishop who in the meantime had secured a magistrate's commission got up and read the riot act to them and immediately sent such an alarming report of the occurrence to victoria that the authorities dared not wait till they could get hold of one of their own warships but prevailed upon the united states government to send up the revenue cutter oliver wolcott with two magistrates they at once upon arrival proceeded to investigate the so-called riot but came to the conclusion that on the crown's own evidence there had been no riot and therefore dismissed the case but before the revenue cutter arrived further troubles had arisen the riot act had been read by the bishop on the thirtieth of november eighteen eighty two on the eighteenth of december some one of the bishop's party had bought a drum from one of the indians as he was only part owner of the drum with six or seven others they objected to the sale and wanted mr duncan's help to get it back mr duncan wrote to mr collison who refused to return it and recommended a lawsuit this of course was a small matter but there was at the time so much bad blood in the camp that it did not require anything very great to create a row at metlakahtla mr duncan who did not want to exercise his powers of a magistrate where he feared he might be prejudiced sent the boys to a justice at fort simpson but he afraid of the bishop and the church would not take up the case mr duncan and mr collison then agreed to submit the matter to the bishop he consented to act but put the complainants off perhaps because they were then in the midst of the christmas festivities it had been agreed that in the meantime the drum should not be used but when a boy contrary to the terms of this agreement appeared on the street with the bone of contention two of the part owners took the drum away from him the bishop who had not been in any hurry up to this time now became very much aroused and at once on december twenty sixth issued his warrant for the two malfeasers when brought before him he without any examination or hearing on his own motion sent them to jail there to remain until january second his excuse was that he wanted to have it determined as to the ownership of the drum before their hearing the indians with a keen appreciation of the rights of an accused person to a speedy trial at once called a meeting without the knowledge or presence of mr duncan at this meeting it was voted to send a delegation to the bishop and request him to give the men an immediate trial on proceeding to the bishop's house for this purpose the delegation espied him coming up the street and concluded to wait for him one of the delegates an old man held up his hand as the bishop was nearing and said stop bishop the bishop pushed the old man aside 
but one of the others a young man named paul legaic the old chief's nephew stepped out onto the road and said no bishop don't do that we want to talk to you why do you not try the two men before sending them to jail the bishop did not answer the question but struck the young man a blow he was a strong powerful man and could have annihilated the bishop and did in fact lift his hand when one of the others said no don't strike back let him go he followed the advice and did not touch the bishop one of the party robert hewson a humorous and gifted young man now a highly respectable and influential citizen of new metlakahtla could not hold back an odious comparison he stepped up to the bishop and taking hold of his right hand said bishop this hand baptize indian this hand fight indian the bishop in his rage gave him a violent blow on the chest with such force as to throw him against another indian jacob bolton that was more than hewson could stand he had a temper as well as the bishop and he struck back once at the same time jacob bolton whose nose was bleeding from the blow he had received when hewson was pushed against him started in earnest to give the bishop what he evidently was looking for this was a signal for the whole crowd to take a hand and the bishop would undoubtedly have fared very badly had it not been for mr duncan's constables who rushed in pushed the crowd aside and rescued the bishop with the warning words to the men christians must not fight better suffer wrong but the bishop struck first well let him do that but not we we must show him that we are christians the bishop now went to the mission house the crowd started to the jail and released the prisoners when the magistrates came up on the riot case this whole drum trouble with all its ramifications was brought before them legaic had in vain sought redress for the bishop's unprovoked assault upon him as mr duncan felt a delicacy about taking the matter up and the fort simpson justice to whom he sent the young man was on too good terms with the bishop to take any steps against him at the hearing before the magistrates the bishop swore that he was set upon by a mob of two hundred and fifty indians it was clearly proven however that there were not over twenty or twenty-five indians present he also swore that the old indian had first struck him this testimony he however at a subsequent hearing changed to a greater consistency with the truth at the hearing the drum the miserable cause of it all was restored to its rightful owners robert hewson was fined ten dollars as being guilty of a technical assault by taking hold of the bishop's hand when making his humorous remark and another indian was also fined a similar sum the prisoners and their liberators were discharged as their imprisonment by the bishop was held to be illegal as might be expected nothing was done to the bishop he was a little too high up for that these actions on the part of the bishop so irritated the indians and created so much bad blood that after this it seemed that both parties just watched for an opportunity for getting at the other and stirring up trouble sometimes undoubtedly one side was in the wrong sometimes the other most of the time both of them small insignificant trifles were made use of to try to down the other side and every six months or so the bishop called for another warship and for the commissioners and magistrates it had been calculated that his efforts to fight mr duncan and the indians of the mission have cost the province of british columbia not less than thirty thousand dollars in cold cash 
and in order to hold the fort and gain twelve or fifteen families which was the total result of five years intrigue and most godless warfare the society was made to spend another thirty thousand dollars of mission money at metlakahtla they had long had a by-law forbidding the erection of any building unless the consent of the council had first been obtained one of the bishop's followers disregarded this by-law and irritated the council by following his teacher's example and saying publicly that he would build just whatever and wherever he pleased without asking the council the indians now made a mistake instead of prosecuting him they went to his place and pulled down the few scantlings he had erected but improper as this action was it would hardly seem to warrant the bishop's calling for another warship on these poor people but he did it came and with it a magistrate and an indian agent that such a condition of things was not very favourable to the growth of christian life of the indians follows of itself that the people involved in this petty warfare and miserable intrigue indulged in more or less on both sides did not lose their religion altogether is a surprise to all who know anything about it and a living proof of the genuineness and earnestness with which the seed had been planted an occurrence like the one to be mentioned makes the heart sick before one of the numerous commissioners sent up on the warships to investigate metlakahtla affairs the bishop who had paraded through the streets armed with a rifle so that mr duncan was obliged to request him in writing to desist as he could not be responsible for what might result from such action during the excited and troublous times in which they were living testified that he had been fired at it was night the shot passed through a window close by him he distinctly heard the report of the gun and chased the two villains in the dark but was outrun the following morning the bullet was found in the room all of this was sheer imagination there had been no gun fired at all the young man of the bishop's own party had in sport intended to toss a small pistol bullet at the wall of the bishop's house for the purpose of scaring a young girl he saw at the window unfortunately he missed his mark and the bullet happened to fly in through the window of the room in which the bishop was sitting at the time that was all there was to it to put the case very mildly what must one think of a man with an imagination as lively as that the fight seemed now simply to have come down to a question of endurance in power to invent causes for trouble between the bishop and the indians at one time when there happened to be nothing else in the wind the indians took possession of the schoolhouse as a test case as they called it though mr duncan had at first been inclined to make no claim to the building inasmuch as the government had contributed the small sum of two hundred dollars towards its erection this meant simply another warship seven men were tried four of them held by the magistrates and sent to victoria to languish in jail for several months when the case against them was dropped or dismissed by the grand jury which severely criticized the magistrates for allowing themselves to be made tools of by the bishop the names of the men who thus were made to suffer as the first metlakahtla martyrs jailed at victoria are to-day emblazoned on the roll of honor of the metlakahtla indians and to preserve their names in history they are here given cornelius hudson dennis malone charles spencer and edward k mather End of chapter thirty two